This is Reclaiming Jane, an Austin podcast for fans on the margins. I'm Lauren Weathers. And I'm Emily Davis-Hale. And today, we're finding ways to connect random topics suggested by listeners back to Jane Austen. so excited about this. Starting a few months ago, we began collecting suggestions from listeners on social media of just the most outrageous topics that y'all could come up with to make us connect to Jane Austen because we've already done so many unexpected things, especially with Lauren's pop culture connections. Happy to oblige. And y'all delivered. We have some some truly (laughs) outlandish topics to connect today. Truly outlandish. We have each chosen three we had patrons vote on which six we were going to do so rather than having us choose because we had no idea how to pick we had them vote on which ones they wanted to hear us talk about once we had those top six then we divided the six between the two of us so emily has three and i have three and we know which topics we were each assigned but we don't know what our connections are yet so Mm -hmm. it'll be a surprise so first off thank you so much to everyone who sent in suggestions Some of them were incredibly off the wall. I'm very sad that we're not going to get to a couple of them, but I'm keeping a running list for future Six Degrees games. Um, But then also especially thank you to all of the patrons who voted. That is one of the the perks that you get for joining our Patreon is that you'll get voting rights on any uh, listener chosen segments in the future. This is the first time that that we were able to set up a poll and it's very exciting. So thank you everyone who contributed. Yes. And we will be doing more six degrees of Jane Austen in the future, probably after each book that we complete. So it'll be interesting to see what other topics we get. And so if yours wasn't picked this round, like Emily said, we're keeping a running list. And so never fear it may show up in a future six degrees of Jane Austen episode. We should also mention that this is not a, traditional six degrees game so rather than going through and finding the connections like when you say like oh a friend of a friend is two degrees of separation away from us we're kind of interpreting it more loosely so kind of the way that we do pop culture connections on the podcast where we're finding ways that we can make it relatable to Jane Austen rather than going through the actual six degrees of going down a Wikipedia rabbit hole to see how it connects yeah but I I think this is going to come up with some more interesting conversations Um, and hopefully you guys will also contribute to these conversations Um, we love talking to everybody on social media it's super fun Um, I mean that's you know we're doing this for the community so exactly it's great to see in addition to being just a celebration of how weird we can get with our topics um, this is this episode is also kind of doubling as our first anniversary because our first episode was released December 16th, 2020. Happy one year to us. Happy birthday to us. Oh my God. It went so fast. It really did. I mean, like it's been a hell of a year, but yeah, this, this has been a fantastic first year of podcasting. I'm glad we get to do this off the wall type of thing to celebrate our off the wall kind of podcast. It's so great. I'm very happy. 
thank you all for hanging out with us for a year. Yes, thank you. It's been absolutely wonderful. And we're looking forward to the next several years yes. as well, because, you know, we have to get through the novels. Uh, it's going to take us a bit. So yep. you're stuck with us for a couple more years. <laughs> All right. Now, um, for some reason, we did not decide in advance who's going first. Ooh. I say ABC order, so you go first. (laughs) Not reverse? (laughs) No. (laughs) All right. Well, I I think uh, we should at least be able to to choose. Should we choose our own uh, order of topics? Or do we want to choose for each other? Let's choose for each other. Okay. All right. So my topics are... Uh, Parks and Recreation, the mm-hmm. television show, socialism, and comic books. So, Lauren, what do you want to hear first? I'm going to go Parks and Recreation. Parks and Rec. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, sitting down to try and connect Parks and Rec to Jane Austen, it it took me a minute to think about it because, I mean, for one, I've seen the entirety of Parks and Recreation times <laughs> so there's a lot of material to go off of but especially because we just finished pride and prejudice the thing that struck me as the connection i wanted to make was the relationship between leslie and ben oh do tell so the main thing is the way that their story arc begins and how similar it comes off as being to lizzie and darcy as being antagonism. So for those of you who are not familiar with Parks and Recreation, I, I'm i sorry if you haven't seen it, but the show ended like six years ago. So spoilers, I guess, for like season four. Um, skip ahead. Just skip ahead in this podcast <laughs> right. episode if you haven't yeah. seen it. <laughs> so Leslie Nope is the main character. She is the protagonist. She is the focus of the show. Um, she's just like a city government employee. And her eventual love interest is Ben Wyatt, who, when he makes his first appearance on the show, has come in as a state auditor to fix the city's finances. And it starts out completely antagonistic because she reads the situation as, you've come here to fuck up everything I love, and I am going to make everything worse for you. Whereas he's just there doing his job, but because he he comes off similarly to Darcy as like just just the way he presents himself in like this new situation he's like okay I know I'm coming in to do a lot of things that you were going to be unhappy about and so he's he's not making an attempt to be personable also because his partner Chris Traeger is the personal one mm-hmm. um it's a good cop bad cop it is it is oh my god it's Bingley and Darcy <laughs> Chris Traeger is Charles Bingley. Oh my god, the Golden Retrievers. Yes. <laughs> Jane Bennett, you have made me literally the happiest man on earth. <laughs> okay, okay, we'll have to work out this AU later. But it was it was mostly that that initial interaction that reminded me of Lizzie and Darcy. And so that's that's my connection is that initial antagonism as they meet. Now their their story arc, their love story is completely different because like they're actually both like good people and very compatible. Leslie and Ben are. Um, so like he doesn't need to learn how to not be an asshole. He is not an asshole. It's just the context in which they first meet. Um, but that's that's my connection between between Parks and Rec and Pride and Prejudice. I love it. 
That's perfect, actually. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm never going to stop thinking about Chris and Bingley. That no. is a perfect... <laughs> that was perfect. That's a one-to-one analogy right there. <laughs> Tell me a modern AU Bingley wouldn't be running 10Ks every day at lunch. 10,000% <laughs> would. <laughs> okay, so it is now your turn to choose a topic for me. Mm-hmm. So the topics that I had were the seven deadly sins... Afrofuturism and Scandinavian metal. How these were the three that I ended up with, I have no idea. But those are the options. Ooh, those are those are tough. First, because I just I wanted I wanna know. Hmm. Let's go with Scandinavian metal. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. So uh I had never listened to Scandinavian metal before today. I Listen to all types of music, but far and away, the genre to which I listen to most is pop music. Like, three of my most top played artists were Little Mix, Beyonce, and Doja Cat. Like, just to give you (laughs) an idea of what is usually coming through my headphones at any given time. Uh, So Scandinavian metal was pretty far off from that. So I had to do some research because I had no idea what it was that I was meant to be talking about. (laughs) And... So the main definition of Scandinavian metal is music that comes from Denmark, Sweden, and Norway, and then also sometimes Finland and Iceland. But Denmark, Sweden, and Norway are usually the three main countries that we're talking about when it comes to Scandinavian metal. There's different subgenres within that as well. So like black or Viking metal is from Norway, and that's characterized as being like really frenzied with haunting piano melodies. And then you can also have like darker like death metal from sweden and there was a really good quote from the scandinavian standard thank you so much for helping me learn about scandinavian metal because i did not know and that was what really helped me start thinking about how i was going to connect it back to jane austen because one of the things that they said was why do scandinavians love metal music it could be that it allows an otherwise reserved people a way to express big feelings The sound certainly stands in stark contrast to the way that we perceive the calm and collected Scandinavian culture, and yet it has grown deep and meaningful roots in the region. And so what I was thinking of was, you know, what outlets do Austin characters have to express those big feelings and those emotions because they don't have the same outlet that metal allows you where you can express that like really primal rage and angst in a way that's like, that's safe to do so, I guess, and um, I want to say socially acceptable to do. I mean, in in certain circles, I think sometimes nine times out of 10 people give metalheads like a side eye, not realizing that they're like really nice people. <laughs> I think they just listen to like the death screaming and don't really know what's happening. Because of course, our Austin characters are all British who are also characterized as also very reserved. You know, you have that infamous stiff upper lip. And a lot of times what we see in the books that we have read for Austin is that characters can express like thoughts and emotions through like letter writing where they're alone with their thoughts and can gather it and can express themselves emotionally or in sometimes emotional, sometimes planned speeches. But there's not really avenues where they're able to like let loose and let their hair down. And so I was thinking about like how would things be different if they did have that kind of outlet and then also how would the stories change if women were just allowed to scream like with with no self-censoring of their own emotions and you could ask how would all of history change if women were allowed to scream and be primal in our rage 
the course of history would shift. But I was thinking specifically like with Eleanor taking it back to Sense and Sensibility. I think she could have really benefited from something like that to have an outlet because Marianne is in touch with her emotions regardless. But Eleanor does not have that. So I was thinking that Eleanor and Colonel Brandon specifically would be like secret metalheads because that's where they allow themselves to like let loose and to let go of all that repression. Never in actual social situations because that's just not who who they are as people. But then... If such a thing as Scandinavian metal existed in Regency England, they would 100% be at a metal concert because that's where they feel like they can let go of all that like buttoned up propriety and can just go and just scream and let out all their rage and angst and stress and then go back home and be fine. Wow, I love that. And also, I really love the idea of both Eleanor and Colonel Brandon being metalheads. Right? I feel like that would be a good bonding experience for them. Yes. I maintain that they should be besties. They and should be. I have seen Pod and Prejudice, I guess who have just gotten to certain points of sense and sensibility, talking about how Eleanor and Colonel Brandon need to be like besties who just kiss sometimes, which <laughs> I fully support. I did ship them. I mean, I kind of still do, but... Yeah. Yes. They, they could definitely bond over a mosh pit. I could totally see it. Mm-hmm. Also, listen to some Scandinavian metal at work today because I was trying to figure out what it was that I was going to listen to. Some of those songs are now in my rotation. I liked it, nice. which was like really surprising, honestly. But I guess we know what we're going to go from pop punk to Scandinavian metal, I guess. We're just going to have <laughs> a variety of musical tastes. Why not? Why not? So would recommend can send you the playlist also whoever suggested that we do Scandinavian metal. If you have a playlist that <laughs> you would like yes. to send to us. Uh, please send it. All right, let's see. What do I want to choose for you next? That's socialism and comic books. Let's go comic books. All right. Yeah. So I, I like that you had a quote for Scandi Metal, um, because I also have a quote for comic books, oh, because excellent. this is actually a connection that people have tenuously made before. Oh. So from Marshall McLuhan in 1954... If there is a truism in the history of human communication, it is that any innovation in the external means of communication brings in its train shock on shock of social change. So my connection is that comic books in the early mid 20th century were a similarly innovative form of media to novels in the early 19th century. Ooh, okay. Yeah, so both novels and comic books have been seen during their relative infancy as being sort of lower class and being disparaged. And because they open up different forms of media to different groups of people, Um, Because they are more accessible, they are equated with being sort of crude forms and being lesser than the established media that the educated higher classes um, want to be associated with. Oh, that's so good. So I feel like even with comic book adaptations becoming such huge box office successes, people still look down on comics themselves and don't see it as a valid 
art form or valid literature or it's not a real book. Why is it not a real book? Because there's added art. That doesn't make any sense. And we still see that with a lot of novels as well, depending on the genre, because if it's not literary fiction <laughs> romance, and incomprehensible, it's, you know, palaver for the masses and it's not worth anything. But I think that's bullshit. <laughs> but yeah, novels and comic books being looked down on by people who consider themselves to be highly cultured. Um, because it's growing the demographic of people who are interested in these kinds of art forms. Yep. We see that with video games, too. 100%. Mm-hmm. Because it's appealing to a group of people that are not considered to be, you know, the better sort. Mm-hmm. Um, then, obviously, the art associated with them must also be worthless. Right. I, I, yeah. You know what? They're lost. They miss out on so much wonderful art I by, know, not, right? by not considering things that aren't like in the academy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's my comic book connection. I love it. I'm a fan. I'm a comic, fa- comic book fan. <laughs> okay. Seven Deadly Sins or Afrofuturism? Let's do Sins. Okay. Let's, let's keep Afrofuturism for last. Good idea. All right. So... For Seven Deadly Sins, which as a refresher, if you do not have religious trauma, you might not know this. The Seven Deadly Sins are pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and sloth. And so what I did was I chose a Jane Austen character from either Sense and Sensibility or Pride and Prejudice to match each one of the sins. And I only did those two books since those are the two that we've read. I accept edits. And editorializing, let me know if you disagree with any of these picks. I've, you could pick multiple for each one. These were just the ones that I felt like fit. Um, so for Pride, we just finished Pride and Prejudice. We obviously have two main contenders for who Pride could be. Um, I chose Elizabeth Bennett for Pride because uh, she almost blocked her own. The spicy take. The spicy take. Um, she blocked her own blessings very nearly by being prideful. She really just closed herself off to a lot of opportunities and, you know, almost hurt Charlotte by being proud, um, hurt herself by being proud and not wanting to admit when she was wrong or being unwilling to see certain things. And because she hurt herself and others, I'm choosing pride as, um, as, her, as her deadly sin. Could have gone either way, but I'm going for, going for Elizabeth. You'll also see why in a moment. For greed, I went um, threw it back to our hate club member Fanny Dashwood. Yes, <laughs> hate club forever. Hate club forever <laughs> because she is so greedy that her husband's father isn't even like cold in the dirt, and she's already figuring out how to take all of the money that's supposed to be given to his daughters and other legitimate heirs. She's like, "No, nah, screw you. How much money do I get?" And how can I continue to cheat you out of what you've deserved? Uh, That sounds like greed to me and very worthy of her being named the character that goes for greed on Seven Deadly Sins. I agree. I mean, that was that was one of the very first like character introductions in Sense and Sensibility. And I'm still heated about how terrible she is. So excellently chosen. I mean, a well-deserved hate club person. Just just why? For lust, also sticking with sense and sensibility, I went to Willoughby. Ooh, very good. Because man could not keep it in his pants and impregnated a 15-year-old girl. So we're going with lust for Willoughby. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
can you can you not can you can you pause from lusting after literal children for just a moment please like what are you what are you doing envy i feel like is also a spicy take so i put for envy i put mrs bennett Oh, because she's always comparing what she has to everyone else and is always talking about how much she has or how much what do the Lucases have? What does this person have ranking her daughters based off of how much money their new husbands are going to have? So I put envy for Mrs. Bennett because to me that always reads as someone who's not satisfied with what it is that she has or is insecure about it in some way and is always envying people who have more. That's also very well chosen, I think. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, gluttony was another difficult one. And I also saw that gluttony was also sometimes interpreted as drunkenness. And so this one is just more of like a, a throwaway because I couldn't really think of a character that fit with gluttony. But because he loves a party, I put Sir John Middleton. <laughs> as soon as you started bringing up gluttony, it was like, is it going to be John Middleton? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> that man loves him a glass of wine. <laughs> He loves a good party. Oh, also another social media comment that we had was uh, fan casting Snoop Dogg as John Middleton, oh which my I God. absolutely support. 100,000%. So here for it. Yes. He, he would like fit John Middleton who just wants to party and make sure all the young people have fun. Remake like, of Sense and Sensibility where it's time. With Snoop Dogg. Yes. Please and thank you. Okay. And then for Wrath... The reason why I have Elizabeth as Pride is because I put Mr. Darcy as Wrath. Oh. Because I had him as Pride first, and then I got down to Wrath, and I switched it. So I put that because I feel like he is the type of person to let his anger eat away at him and ruin his own happiness. And so it could literally be a deadly sin for him and that he's so focused on his own anger and letting his anger consume him that he doesn't let go of grudges and let himself be happy. He's dwelling on things that make him angry instead of things that make him happy. Yeah, that's that's good. That's really good. I love these connections. Thank you. <laughs> and then my last one is Sloth, and I put Mr. Bennett. Yes. Because dude just wants to sit in his library all day. <laughs> it's, it's relatable, but yeah. But, but yeah, like, you know, do I also wish that I could just sit in a library all day and tune out the rest of the world and all of my responsibilities? Yes, absolutely. Do That's I do the dream. It? That's the dream. Do I do it? No, because I have responsibilities and people who also are looking for me to do things. But those those are my seven deadly sins. My connection. Lizzie is pride. Fanny Dashwood is greed. Willoughby is lust. Mrs. Bennett as envy. Sir John Middleton as the loves to party glutton. Mr. Darcy as Wrath and Mr. Bennett as Sloth. I, I like all of those. I think they're all excellent. And But yeah, I, I agree that there are multiple characters that you could have chosen for any one of those. 100%, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, lots of options. Yes, except none for Charlotte Lucas because, <laughs> because Charlotte Lucas is flawless and has never done anything wrong in her life. I know this and I love you. <laughs> hey, there's another Parks and Rec. <laughs> Charlotte and Jane are both flawless. It's fine. All right. Last one. We are down to socialism. I'm very excited to hear what you came up with for this. So this one is actually more of a direct link Mm, than the others. I didn't really have to like dig through connections because so first off, just 
the the gloss off the top socialism is it's a a set of multiple philosophies economic um political social it's it's manifests in a lot of different arenas but the connecting factor is a belief that means of production should be socially controlled and social control can mean a lot of different things so there's there's a lot of nuance within that but socialism you can boil that down to social control over means of production and what is often identified as the sort of inciting moment for our modern iterations of socialism is the French Revolution, which was utterly contemporary with Jane Austen because it began at the very end of the 18th century and also ties in pretty directly to some of the themes that we have talked about in the book with war and militarism and colonialism especially because some of the consequences of the French Revolution were things like the Haitian Revolution. And so one part of the presence of the military in England at the time was Britain trying to protect their assets from the ripples of the French Revolution and basically different communities undertaking some form of socialism. Damn. Yeah. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Socialism is not as far off from Jane Austen as people might think. I appreciate that direct line. I always love seeing like the history context that we don't think about affecting the events that we see in like our our accepted or defined narrative of history I guess Mm -hmm. I mean especially when it comes to the very specific social contexts that we see in Austen novels because it's I mean Jane Austen was writing about the context that she knew so it's fairly narrow but there's so much going on behind the scenes that contributed to the way society was at that point love it I'm so glad all right tell me about Afrofuturism and Jane Austen all right so for obvious reasons this is really hard I was really struggling to figure out how do you connect something that is deeply rooted in black culture to Jane Austen who clearly was not (laughs) and so I didn't really know how I was going to do that so for people who aren't aware of what Afrofuturism is. It's the reimagining of a future that is filled with art and technology and science that's seen through a black lens specifically. I guess like the Sparknotes version is that it connects like the culture of the African diaspora to like science and technology and art. And it came from an essay that came out in 1993 by Mark Derry that was called Black to the Future, which I love. Can we just, I just want to give an excellent naming scheme there. Just a moment of appreciation for that title. (laughs) And what makes Afrofuturism different from like your standard science fiction is that it's rooted in like African tradition and identity specifically. So it's not just like, oh, I have a black character in my science fiction novel. And so now it's Afrofuturism. That is not how that works. You have to be rooted in black culture and also find a way to like to celebrate it in your work so that's what afrofuturism is which is why it's very difficult to connect back to jane austen but where i was thinking of it was that uh afrofuturism specifically allows 
like black feminists to design and imagine new futures and possibilities for black women where we're in a culture that kind of tries to put us into a box of what we can and cannot be or what we can and can't achieve and also allows us to imagine like joyful futures specifically because often it feels like if we're telling black stories and like western culture it's always rooted in some kind of trauma and sadness and while it's important to like tell those stories because they were they are and were real and they happened it's also important to show that like we're joyful too because it seems like sometimes people are eager to consume black trauma not bear witness to but to consume it but then not to the joy and the joyful side of things and Afrofuturism allows people to imagine a joyful future for black people that's separate from that pain and of that trauma and it's speculative fiction, so it means that you get to create whatever world that you want to. So it doesn't have to be anything that is tainted by like the legacies of racism because you get to create your own world and you get to think of something else where you get to be joyful and a full person that's separate from all of that. And what I was thinking of was that as problematic as it might be to connect white feminism to Afrofuturism, kind of at a loss, but <laughs> I think in a way that's also what Jane Austen was able to do with her books for white women in Britain specifically was to give them a way to like live vicariously through her novel characters. So for example, marrying for love was not really something that you could expect would be part of your life if you were a woman in Regency England. Like you, your goal was to secure a marriage and if you happen to love each other, then fantastic. But that's less important than making sure that you leave your parents' household, establish your own don't become an old maid. So for women to be able to read Jane Austen's novels and see fully realized female characters and also female characters who get to marry for love, they get to imagine their own futures or get to picture a world where even though it's analogous to their own, you know, like Jane Austen wasn't writing fantasy, she was writing characters who got to make perhaps different choices than the people who were reading those books did and so was able to help people imagine something else even as she was writing about something that was really contemporary and realistic fiction it also inspired different possibilities i think so that is my afrofuturism connection i mean i think you get a great i think you did a great (laughs) job just in in finding a connection yeah i know i i can see the the comparison and obviously not trying to say that Afrofuturism like owes anything to those kinds of white feminist escapist fantasies but that there is a similarity in what is trying to be accomplished exactly because those are two completely different literary traditions absolutely (laughs) but I think you can see how they're both kind of trying to accomplish the same thing of imagining better possibilities I suppose Mm -hmm. Also, for anybody who wants to explore Afrofuturism, I think a lot of people were introduced to it through like Black Panther, of course, but N.K. Jemisin has a short story collection called How Long Till Black Future Month. 10,000% would recommend. I've been meaning to read that. Okay. I have a signed copy from the time I interviewed her. Oh, wow. TBT. I'll have to to read that during hiatus. Yes. Because I I want to come up with, with plans for Black History Month next year. Oh, yeah. So... I want to be better prepared. 
I think you put together really good content for Black History Month this year, though. I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. Well, hopefully I will continue and improve upon that tradition. I believe in you. Thanks. But yeah, (laughs) I like like that. That's so cool. I'm also, I'm so glad that we got to talk about Afrofuturism just in general, like, outside of the context of trying to connect it to Jane Austen. Me too. It's like, I was really excited to get it. And I was like, oh, yay, I get to talk about Afrofuturism. And then I was like, oh, hell, how do I connect that? <laughs> Valid. And Valid. Because c- I'll talk about, I mean, like, Octavia Butler, N.K. Jemison, I love. So, like, anything that allows Black people to imagine ourselves, like, outside of this. So that was uh, a fun topic for me to be able to relate to. That's awesome. Whoop, whoop. Hey. Well, this was so fun. It was. Thank you again to everyone who suggested topics and who voted on them. I I can't wait to see what we get next time. I know. Well, yeah, please keep them coming. We'll accept suggestions just at any time. We'll mm-hmm. add them to the running document. So if there's something, we won't get to another Six Degrees of Jane Austen for months. However, if there is something that you're thinking of, like right this moment, you don't want to forget, let us know and we'll add mm-hmm. it and we'll keep it in mind. And in the meantime, I mean, we're absolutely going to keep making wild connections just in regular episodes, too. Like, I'm sorry, we talked about Squid Game and Jane Austen. So (laughs) (laughs) I think we've set a precedent of talking about weird things. So yes, we will will continue to create outlandish connections just in general. But for for an episode dedicated entirely to the things that are so out there, it's going to take some work. Please let us know. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Reclaiming Jane. We're going to be on hiatus until season three begins in February with Mansfield Park, but you can keep up with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook in the meantime, starting with our first live tweet of the 95 Pride and Prejudice on Jane Austen's birthday, December 16th. Which is tomorrow if you're listening the day this episode's been released. To read a full transcript of this episode, check out our website, reclaimingjanepod.com, where you can also find show notes, the full back catalog, and links to all those social media accounts. If you'd like to support us and gain access to exclusive content, including special events during this break, you can join our Patreon at Reclaiming Jane Pod. Reclaiming Jane is produced and co-hosted by Lauren Weathers and Emily Davis-Hale. Our music is by Latasha Bundy and our show art is by Emily Davis-Hale. We'll see you next time. I have a master's degree and some literary fiction is still completely opaque to me i mean a lot of it is just bad it can be highbrow and still suck sometimes it is and i feel like we need to call that out more often i know like okay yes you are very smart but you are not a very good writer and i'm i'm not putting forth the mental energy for this i'm so sorry but i'm just not (laughs) 